In this video, we're going to be talking primarily about the effects of electromagnetic frequencies and electromagnetic radiation generally on plants and animals and obviously humans. Don't tune out just yet. Stick with it. It's going to be an interesting ride. And for those of you that don't necessarily like me reading stuff out, there's also a much larger number of people that do. So I'm going to try and address both of those. I'm going to give you me talking about this to start with and then the book that I'm going to refer to, which is by Arthur Furstenberg, and it's called The Invisible Rainbow. I found a 17-page translated book summary online, and I'm going to read you at the end those 17 pages. So I'll give you a heads up when I'm going to start that. So if you want to go off and do your thing at that point, do your own research, you can. If you want to stick around and listen to me read 17 pages to you, I'm going to do that. We are primarily electrical beings. We have... Um, uh, electromagnetic field that emanates from our heart around our body. The earth also has an electromagnetic field and that shields us from the radiation from the sun. Plants have it, animals have it, and I understand that crystals have it too. So it appears to certainly apply to many living things. We are very sensitive to even slight changes in electromagnetic frequency and electromagnetic radiation. And we'll get more into that as we read through the book. Suffice to say that very small shifts can cause very dramatic changes in people's physiology, their, uh, their, the way their mind works, their mental health, uh, and stuff like that. So one of the things I think to understand, you, you may or may not be familiar with the research that was done, but people living under pylons um, really had severe physical and some had mental health problems. And the interesting thing with electromagnetic changes, some people get sick and die. Other people get sick and recover. Other people get sick and kind of get stuck in this. It's, it's, I was going to say like dream world. Well, that's not really the right kind of word. They never really get well again and they just can't be around the stuff. And yet other people, I think everyone's affected, but they're not affected to any particular degree. It doesn't seem degree and it doesn't seem to trouble them. Now, what Arthur did in his book, and it's a fascinating book. I've only been reading, uh, the, pages I'm going to read to you, plus I found other bits online. I've been watching some uh, movies about it, I've been reading some documents about it. And what's very, very clear is that there is a dramatic effect on the human physiology by electromagnetic frequencies and electromagnetic radiation. I'm going to put a link in the description below to both the uh, article, or sorry, the book summary, uh, the book, which if you want to buy it off there via the Amazon link, that will give me some commission, which would be great, but you don't have to buy that. You don't have to buy it from there if you don't want to. Um, I'm also going to put a link to an interesting little video by Dr. Thomas Cowan, and he talks about the effects of electromagnetic radiation. There's a, a video I'm going to link to called The Truth About Mobile Phone Radiation by Dr. Deborah Davis. Yeah, Dr. Deborah Davis, which um, I knew that mobile phones had an impact on our physiology, but when I watched that, it has dramatically changed the relationship I have with my phone. And I would encourage you to get in and have a watch of that. Just have a think about the implications of it. And it's not some kind of pseudoscience. It's not an attack on things. It's just very straightforward stuff. And it's well documented and very interesting. So let's step back to this. Now, when I said before, let's look at cause and effect. What becomes apparent as I was doing this and started, I discovered his book. In fact, I think it was probably sent to me by someone. I started to search for stuff was that he said Prior to all the pandemics that have gone on, there has been a major electrification event. And he starts detailing about how electricity started out, what went on, how sick the people got, and how the fact that there was much more awareness of electricity sickness, if you will, illness caused by electricity, 
at the turn of the century, not this century, but the previous one, than there is now. And having read through his stuff, I am very, very certain that many people are sick with the um, effects of electricity, if you will, or electromagnetic frequency radiation poisoning. Um, and it's being fobbed off or passed off as other things. What was interesting in the book was he said this affects about 5% of the population. So you can extrapolate those numbers out as you do more research. And I would encourage you to dig further into this and shine a light into it and see what you come up with and come to your own conclusions from it. So let's go quickly now in and have a quick dive through time. And I'm just going to grab three events out which stick in my mind. And, and again, if I get the number slightly wrong, don't worry, you'll get them in the book anyway. In 1918, the Spanish flu happened. Uh, what was interesting with that was, actually, this isn't interesting. It's really horrific, really. Something like 20 plus million people died from it. Whole, whole areas were wiped out. So immediately prior to that, radio waves were broadcast around the planet for the first time. And that would have been the first time that I think I'm aware of, certainly, that the planet was subjected to radio waves. So all the animals, plants, uh, humans, everything was subjected to that. What was interesting to me is when they did some research, a lot of people didn't die from what they would say was traditional flu symptoms like pneumonia. They died, it would appear, from internal hemorrhaging. Now, I've read more about the effects of radiation on people's bodies where it interferes with the calcium channels, and that's something certainly that 5G radiation does at a very, very high level. And that causes the calcium to be removed out of the blood, I believe it was, or moved out of the blood, and then people bleed to death. Uh, which sounds horrific. The other thing they did at the time, which I found fascinating, was they would take mucus, so snot, which makes me feel thinking about this. They would take snot from infected people and put it into people that weren't infected. I don't know how they did that. I don't really want to think about how they did that. But what was interesting was the people who were not affected didn't get sick. Horses were affected by the Spanish flu. They put bags on the head, Costa sneezed into it. They would put that on the head of an animal that wasn't sick and that animal didn't get sick. Remember I said some people get sick and die, some people get sick and recover, some people get sick and don't recover, and some people don't get sick at all. I think where I wanted to go with that was this calls into question this whole idea that it's passed from person to person. And I'm right, the more research I've done, and I'm going to do a video about germ theory, because that's all it is, that the whole industry the medical, pharmaceutical, industrial complex is built around the idea of germ theory. Now, don't shoot me. I'm just the messenger. There is, It's never been proven. It's just a theory. That's why it's still called germ theory. So if you look back at that pandemic then, it wasn't transmitted by that anyway. It couldn't have been because it appeared around the world very, very quickly. And yet the only way around the world at that point was by horse or by ship. So that started to raise some questions in my head. And yet it was blamed on a virus. If you step forward to, say, 1958, I think it was, that was the very first time that high-powered radar had been transmitted around the world, and there was a pandemic then. Step forward to 1968, there was the Hong Kong flu, and yet just prior to that, military satellites had been launched for the first time into the Van Allen Belt, which are the it's belts apparently now, there's been something happened to them, but it's a belt around the earth which protects us from solar radiation and it kind of filters it down to the ground. And you can step forward in the book through time and each of these so-called influenza pandemics are being immediately preceded by a major electrification event. And this holds true for foot and mouth. It holds true for, not foot and mouth, um, the... Yeah, sorry, the foot and mouth. 
it also holds true for the um, swine flu, um, which again, the media made a huge hoo-ha about that. Um, so I would encourage you to do a little digging further if this has stimulated a thought. And by the way, if you're leaving us now and you like the video, thumbs up, please. And if you want to share it, please share it as far and as wide as you want. And I will see you in the next video, but don't go away, those who want to stay, because now I'm going to start reading. Okay, so The Invisible Rainbow, A History of Electricity and Life by Arthur Furstenberg. And this is a translation of the French summary authored by Sothine Berger. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, it's too much French for me. Introduction about the author. Arthur Furstenberg is a scientist and journalist who is at the forefront of a global movement to tear down the taboo surrounding this subject. After graduating Phi Beta Kappa from Cornell University with a degree in mathematics, he attended the University of California, Irvine School of Medicine from 1978 to 1982. Injury by x-ray overdose cut short his medical career, and for the past 37 years he has been a researcher, consultant, and lecturer on the health and environmental effects of electromagnetic radiation, as well as a practitioner of several healing arts. About the book. This remarkably well-documented and referenced book is a cornerstone in a sense that it traces the deployment of electricity in our civilization in terms of its interaction with living organisms from its initial discovery in the 1740s all the way to our time and even projected into the future. It should be noted that the title refers to the entire electromagnetic spectrum comprising the colors of the rainbow, including the invisible frequencies such as radio frequencies and the fields generated around conducting wires. Part 1. From the very beginning. 1. Captured in a bottle. 1746 saw the first discoveries involving electricity in Europe. Leyden's experiment consisted of revealing the electric fluid by means of rubbing the hand on a glass globe spun rapidly on its axis. The static electricity thus produced made a great impression on schools, in the schools, fairs, and on the private persons who had the financial means to acquire this device, with some producing electrical arcs and others brief electric shocks. The phenomenon was so popular that it was not socially acceptable suggest to suggest that electricity could be dangerous, even though the shocks caused headaches, nosebleeds, and fatigue in certain experimenters and the animals used in the tests. Society was taken over by electromania, and the most fervent exponents of being electroshocked in good company between two glasses of champagne began to perceive harmful symptoms. In spite of this, the medical establishments equipped themselves with the laden flask, the forerunner of the condenser, for the purpose of carrying out medical experiments for abortions or other applications. In this way, a completely new field of knowledge emerged concerning the biological effects of electricity on people, plants and animals, knowledge that was then much more extensive than that of our contemporary physicians who daily see patients suffering from the effects of electricity without recognizing them for what they are, and who are generally ignorant of the very existence of this knowledge. 2. The deaf to hear and the lame to walk. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started.
Noting the rarely positive and far more often negative effects of the application of electrical voltage on living organisms, the researchers and physicians concluded that living organisms function in conjunction with electricity. Certain cures were brought about using electricity, as for example in 1851 when the neurologist Duchenne, I hope I pronounced that right, treated deafness in dozens of patients by means of locally applied electrical impulses. Experiments were carried out notably by Volta in Italy, as well as other researchers in the Western world, which found evidence that the nervous, cardiac, cardiovascular, gustatory, sudatory, and other systems could be stimulated using electricity produced by galvanic couples. It was found that the number of curative effects were significantly fewer than the harmful effects that were listed, which include the symptoms of electrosensitivity, in brackets ES, or parenthesis, I suppose, known today, such as headaches, dizziness, nausea, mental confusion, fatigue, depression, insomnia, etc. 3. Electrical Sensitivity The French botanist Thomas Francois Dalibard, hope I said that right, who carried out electrical experiments on living organisms, confided in a letter to Benjamin Franklin dated 1762 that he was unable to continue his work as his own organism had developed an intolerance to electricity. He was one of the first people to be officially declared electro-hypersensitive, in parenthesis EHS. Reading that account, it is clear that this botanist must have been severely affected. Other professors and researchers had the same unfortunate experience and were thus forced to stop their work. Even the famous Benjamin Franklin was affected by a neurological illness during his researches on electricity from 1753 onwards, and the symptoms are largely reminiscent of electro-hypersensitivity. So much so that, at the end of the 18th century, it was generally acknowledged that electricity could make persons ill, depending on the sex, the morphology, and the physical condition of the individual concerned. It had similarly been observed that certain individuals reacted strongly to changes in the weather, which often correlated with electrical changes in the atmosphere. This isn't in the book, by the way, but that's really interesting, because I can usually notice when a storm's coming. The names of some other individuals are still famous today, among them Christopher Columbus, Dante, Charles Darwin, Benjamin Franklin, oh god I don't know how to say that, Goethe, Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E, some of you all know, Victor Hugo, Leonardo da Vinci, Martin Luther, Michelangelo, Mozart, Napoleon, Rousseau, and Voltaire. 4. The Road Not Taken During the 1790s, science was faced with an identity crisis regarding the interpretation and unification of the four different fluids electricity, light, magnetism, and heat. Where electricity was concerned, on the one hand there was Luigi Galvani, who regarded electricity as an integral part of the living organism, and on the other, Volta's theory that electricity was only a secondary effect of the internal chemical reactions in the living organism. Volta, the inventor of the extremely useful electric battery, which had the potential to become a great money spinner, succeeded in winning the argument against the more global view of the interaction between electricity and living and the living organism. 5. Chronic electrical illness. From the end of the 19th century onwards, urban landscapes were transformed by the installation of telegraph lines throughout the industrialized countries. This technology used voltages of the order of 80 volts on a single conductor, with the return current being earthed. That period saw the emergence of the first stray currents to which living beings were exposed. It was then that one saw the appearance of diseases of civilization such as neuros, neurasthenia, which affected Frank Lloyd Wright and Theodore Roosevelt, among other well-known figures. It should be noted in passing that neurasthenia, God, I hope I'm saying that right, N-E-U-R-A-S-T-H-E, 
NIA, is very similar to electrohypersensitivity, which is the more modern term for the same sensitivity to electricity. Around half the telegraphists who were employed to manipulate the electric current sent through the lines and were thus exposed to very strong electromagnetic fields were afflicted by telegraphic sickness. Once again, the symptoms were the same as those of EHS. Later on, in around 1915, it was the telephone operators who were experiencing the same symptoms for they were exposed to electromagnetic fields for the communications for hours on end, from the communications for hours on end. In 1989, it was noted that in Winnipeg, 47% of the telephone operators were suffering from the same symptoms. However, in 1894, the noted Viennese psychiatrist Sigmund Freud wrote an article whose effect was disastrous for all the unfortunates who suffered with telegraphic sickness, neurasthenia, microwave syndrome, or EHS. Rather than seeing the external cause, which was electromagnetic pollution, he attributed these symptoms to disordered thoughts or poorly controlled emotions. As a result today, millions of citizens affected by strong electronic smog are being medicated instead of reducing their exposure to this pollutant. Sigmund Freud renamed neurasthenia, which was known to be caused by electricity as a neurosis, anxiety, an anxiety attack, or a panic attack. This opened the way for the reckless deployment of electrification to continue unimpeded. It should be noted that in Russia, neurasthenia is listed as an environmental illness as Freud's damaging redefinition was rejected there. 6. Behavior of Plants Sir Jagadis Chundabose and other researchers conducted numerous electrical experiments on plants and other living organisms, whose results showed definite effects. He discovered that the nerves of plants or animals displayed variable behavior and that their resistivity can vary considerably, depending on the application of the current and its polarity. He also noted that the intensity of the current necessary to modify the conductivity of the nerves is infinitesimal in terms of voltage applied, something in the order of 0.3 microamperes, which is 0.3 times 10 to the power of minus 6. That's, that's a very small number. That current is significantly less than the current that is induced through a telephone conversation using a cell phone. Bose likewise discovered that the threshold of a current's bioactivity is 1 femtoampere, which is 1 times 10 to the minus 15. As this research was also familiar with radio frequency transmissions, he carried out an experiment in which plants were exposed to a signal, radio signal of 30 megahertz at a distance of about 218 yards, 200 meters, and found that the plant's growth was retarded during the emission period. He likewise showed that the circulation of the sap in the plant slowed down when it was irradiated by the same radio signal. 7. Acute electrical illness. During the 1880s, London was supplied with direct current, but certain physicists had discovered that the distribution of alternating current generated fewer ohmic losses in the wires. And I'm going to step in it. This is why I believe Tesla's work, which worked on DC, was far important than the poisonous AC, which has since been developed. So back to this. There followed a battle of the currents, even though many scientists, including Edison, strongly criticized the more dangerous effects of alternating current. Ironically, it's precisely because alternating current is more harmful that it is used in an electric chair. And as everyone knows, the electric current of the grid is alternating. In 1889, full-scale electrification was carried out in the USA and shortly thereafter in Europe. And that same year, as if by chance, doctors were inundated with cases of flu, which has 
Until then, appeared only infrequently. The victim's symptoms were far more neurological in nature, resembling neurasthenia, and did not include respiratory disorders. The pandemic lasted for four years and killed at least a million people. And again, I'm going to just interject here. You can't blame a virus for a problem, but you could sue a corporation or an organization, and I believe that's what's been going on. So back to the story. In 2001, Canadian astronomer Ken Tapping showed that the influenza pandemics over the previous three centuries correlated with peaks in solar magnetic activity on an 11-year cycle. It has also been found that some outbreaks of influenza spread over enormous areas in just a few days, a fact that is difficult to explain by contagion from one person to another. Also, numerous experiments seeking to prove direct contagion through close contact droplets of mucus or other processes have proved fruitless. From 1933 to the present day, virologists have been unable to present any experimental study proving that influenza spreads through normal contact between people. All attempts to do so have been met with failure. I'm going to read that again. From 1933 to the present day, virologists have been unable to present any experimental study proving that influenza spreads through normal contact between people. All attempts to do so have been met with failure. 8. Mystery on the Isle of Wight. In 1904, bees began to die on the Isle of Wight following the installation of radio transmitters by Merconi. These transmitters work at frequencies close to megahertz levels. On the other side of the channel, Jacques Arsène, oh gosh, these French words, Jacques Arsène das, don't know, D apostrophe, A-R-S-O-N-V-L, das Onval, showed that sharp and hooked electromagnetic signals are far more toxic than sinusoidal signals. Sinusoidal. The truth was that, after a year and a half of experimenting with radio transmitters, in full health at the age of 22, Marconi began to develop fevers. These attacks continued for the rest of his life. In 1904, while working on setting up a transmitter powerful enough to tr for transatlantic communications, these fevers became so intense that they were thought to be malaria. In 1905, he married Beatrice O'Brien, and after their honeymoon, they settled on the island close to a transmitter. As soon as Beatrice had settled in, she began to complain of tinnitus. After three months, she fell ill with severe jaundice. She had to return to London to give birth to a baby who only lived for a few weeks and died of unknown causes. During the same time, Marconi spent several months suffering from fever and delirium. Between 1918 and 1921, he suffered suicidal depression while working on, shortwave, on a shortwave transmitter. In 1927, while on his honeymoon from his second marriage, he collapsed with chest pain and was diagnosed with serious cardiac disorders. Between 1934 and 1937, while he was developing microwave technology, he had nine heart attacks, the final one killing him at the age of 63. On the same island at Osborne House, Queen Victoria suffered cerebral hemorrhages and died on the evening of January 22, 1901, just as Marconi was putting a new transmitter into operation less than 13 miles away. In 1901, there were only two transmitters, while in 1904, there were four, making this island the most irradiated place on the planet, leaving bees no room for survival. In 1906, a survey revealed 90% of the bees had completely disappeared for no apparent reason. New colonies were brought to the island, but these likewise died within a week. The epidemic spread across England and then across the Western world, and then gradually stabilized until the armies equipped themselves with various high-powered radio transmitters towards the end of the First World War, triggering, as we have seen, the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, which began in the United States at Naval Radio School of Cambridge, Massachusetts, with 400 initial cases. This epidemic rapidly spread to 1,127 soldiers at Funston Camp, Kansas, 
or Funston Camp, Kansas, where wireless connections had been installed. What intrigued doctors was that while 15% of the civilian population was suffering from nosebleeds, 40% of the Navy suffered from them. Other bleeding also occurred, and a third of those who died did so due to internal hemorrhaging of the lungs and brain. In fact, it was the composition of the blood that had been altered as the measured coagulation times was more than twice as long as normal. These symptoms are incompatible with the effects of influenza respiratory viruses, but totally consistent with the devastating effects of electricity. Another incongruity was that two-thirds of the victims were healthy young people. A further atypical flu symptom was that the pulse slowed to rates of between 36 and 48, whereas this is a common result of exposure to electromagnetic fields. In addition, it was possible to successfully treat some sufferers with massive doses of calcium. The military physician George A. Soper testified that the virus was spreading faster than the speed of movement of people. Various experiments were conducted attempting to infect subjects either by close contact or by inoculation with mucus or blood, but the experiments were unable to demonstrate any infection by this means. It can be seen that each new influenza pandemic corresponds to a new advance in electrical technology such as the Asian flu of 57 to 58, following the installation of a powerful radar surveillance system and the outbreak of the Hong Kong flu from July 68 onwards, following the commission of 28 military satellites for space surveillance at the altitude of the Van Allen belts, which is protectors from cosmic radiation. 9. Earth's Electric Envelope with a core consisting mainly of iron, the rotating Earth is primarily protected by the ionosphere, then the plasmosphere, delimited by the Van Allen radiation belts at an altitude of between 1,000 and 55,000 kilometers, and by its tail, the magnetosphere, which is exposed to solar winds originating from our sun, constitutes a kind of dynamo, a complex electrical system. These exchanges of electricity between the Earth's crust, the atmosphere, and even the ionosphere are permanent and constant. They are in a delicate balance, a kind of electrical respiration of the entire system that has allowed life to develop on our planet, which is charged with negative ions balanced by the positively charged ionosphere. An average vertical electrical field of the order of 130 volts per meter can be observed, with values that can, for example, rise to 4,000 volts per meter during storms. In 1953, one of the primary parameters of this electrical oscillation of our environment was discovered in the form of Winfred Schumann's frequencies, which respire at 7.833 hertz, with harmonics at 1420-2632 hertz, called very low frequencies, in parenthesis VLF. It is no wonder that the organisms living in this environment are imbued with these physical values, and that, for example, our brain rhythms lie within these frequency ranges, such as the alpha rhythm, alpha rhythm which lies at between 8 hertz and 13 hertz. While we perceive the physical frequencies ranging from blue to red of the electromagnetic spectrum, some animals are able to see other electromagnetic frequencies such as bees, which can see ultraviolet frequencies, or those salamanders or catfish, which can see the low, low electrical frequencies, while snakes are able to see infrared frequencies. Laboratory experiments on hamsters, for example, show that reducing the temperature and shortening the duration of daylight was not enough to put them into hibernation. Similarly, hamsters raised in Faraday cages refuse to hibernate even though the light and temperature parameters correspond to those of winter until the Faraday protection was removed. Other experiments were conducted, such, uh, such as that carried out at the Max Planck Institute in 1967 by the physio physiologist Rutger Weber, 
W-E-V-E-R, using two buried rooms without windows or outside contact, one shielded from natural, natural electromagnetic fields, the other one not. It was shown that in the shielded chamber, the circadian rhythms of the volunteers became desynchronized and could vary between 12 and 65 hours, accompanied by metabolic disorders, while the subjects in the chamber immersed in the Earth's fields kept a coherent rhythm of about 24 hours and their metabolism continued to function more normally. It has been scientifically demonstrated that a living organism needs to be bathed in the electromagnetic system of our natural environment in order to function well. Moreover, acupuncture, the ancient method used in traditional Chinese medicine, works by using our own electrical properties and modifying the energy flow of the meridians. It has been known for some time, since the 1950s, that these meridians actually correspond to electrical circuits and that the Chinese um, qi, 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 key, I suppose, corresponds to the concept of electricity. These meridians serve dual functions. They not only transport information and energy internally from one organ of the body to another, but they also serve as antennas for picking up the flow of environmental electromagnetic energy. In the early 1970s, atmospheric physicists discovered that the Earth's magnetic field was significantly disturbed by human electrical activity. By injecting a signal into space and capturing its echo, it was established that the initial signal had in fact been modified by multiples of the 60 Hz power grid used in North America. However, this discovery did not prevent the HARP, H-A-A-R-P project from being launched to deliberately modify the electromagnetic properties of our planet. Similarly, the Van Allen belts that protect us from cosmic rays have already been altered by our electrical activity, and it may be that these double belts were originally only a single belt under the influence of human emission of electrical charges into space has depleted at its center. Satellite observations show that the radiation emitted by hull voltage lines often has the effect of suppressing the natural radiation of lightning. In light of this fact, it is logical to conclude that the influenza pandemics of recent decades are linked to human electrical activity. 10. Porphyrins and the basis of life. And again, I hope I said that right. Any transformation of energy into the biological domain involves pyrorphins, pigments made up of four pyrrole molecules. The fact that our nerves are able to function properly is thanks in part to pyrorphins, which play a role in our cell processes. These are special molecules that function as the interface between oxygen and life. These molecules are highly reactive and interact with toxic metals or synthetic elements derived from oil and with electromagnetic fields, which in excess cause porphyria, which is more an environmental sensitivity than a disease. Dr. William E. Morton's research showed that 90% of people with multiple chemical sensitivity, MCS, are deficient in one or more forms of porphyrin enzyme or another, as are electro-hypersensitive individuals, which means that the two forms of sensitivity are only a different manifestations and one of the same, with one of the same cause. Porphyria, which was discovered in 1891, affects about 10% of today's population and first appeared at the same time as the general electrification of the Western world from 1889 onwards. Porphyrins are central to the effects of electronic smog because they not only cause EHS, MCS or porphyria, but they also, also cardiovascular disease, cancer and diabetes and are involved in a multitude of energetic biological processes. In the 1960s, the biologists Alan Frey and Vladimirez, or Vladimirez, I suppose, Sedlak, showed that our organisms definitely, definitely have bioelectrical components and that some of our cells sometimes behave like conductors or capacitors or semiconductors, transistors, like the components we find in our electrical devices. 
This is the case with myelin, the sheath that covers our nerves which contains pyphorin bonded to zinc. Should environmental poisons such as chemical products or toxic metals affect this equilibrium, this myelin sheath will be damaged which alters the excitability of the nerves it surrounds. The entire nervous system then becomes hypersensitive to stimuli of all kinds, such as electromagnetic fields. The system enters a state of divergent instability, the effect becoming the cause. Contrary to the view that mitochondria are the elements of our cells that produce energy, the concept of the myelin sheath as being one giant mitochondrion is beginning to gain credence. The connection between porphyria and zinc was discovered in the 1950s by Henry Peters at Wisconsin Medical School. Patients suffered from pyphoria and neurological symptoms were excreting a great deal of zinc in their urine, which led him to the idea that zinc chelation or chelation might improve their condition. He did indeed see an improvement despite the widespread belief that zinc deficiency is related to those specific disorders. Similarly, certain experiments have shown that zinc chelation, chelation? I'm not sure how you say that. Zinc chelation improves Alzheimer's disease. An Australian medical team demonstrated in autopsies that the brains of patients with Alzheimer's disease contain twice as much zinc as those of healthy patients. Part 2 to the present day. 11. Irritable heart. In 1980, cardiac arrest in young athletes was rare with only 9 cases a year. From then on, cases steadily increased by 10% per year until 1996 when the rate suddenly doubled to 64 cases, rising to 66 in the following year and 76 in the last year of the study. The American medical community could find no explanation for this, while in Europe in 2002, German environmental physicians launched an appeal calling for a moratorium on antennas and cell towers as the waves they were emitting were causing cardiovascular disorders. That was the Freiburg appeal. Dr. Samuel Millam, an epidemiologist at Washington State Department of Health, showed through his work that cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and cancer are largely, if not entirely, caused by electricity. Paradoxically, studies of cholesterol dating from the early 20th century did not show that cholesterol levels correlated with higher risk of heart disease, contrary to what is commonly regarded as fact nowadays. A study of animals at the Philadelphia Zoo showed that from 1916 to 1964, cholesterol levels in mammals and birds increased by a factor of between 10 and 20, even though the diet had remained completely unchanged. The only parameter that had dramatically changed was the increase in radio frequencies. During the Second World War, a number of soldiers complained of symptoms similar to those of neurasthenia. It was initially believed, in accordance with Freud's doctrine, that these soldiers were suffering from anxiety problems. However, a study of 144 cases was then conducted by Dr. Mandel Cohen. This study revealed that the soldiers were in fact physiologically less resistant and suffering from irritable heart. They had difficulty in assimilating oxygen and had to breathe twice as fast as their comrades in better health in order to get enough oxygen. It emerged that their mitochondria were not functioning efficiently, and in the end, the study showed that these soldiers were hypersensitive in a general sense, but particularly to electricity. From 1950s onwards, scientists in the Soviet Union also observed that radio frequencies altered the electrocardiograms of individuals exposed to them as they modified mitochondrial efficiency. Graphs show that the statistics for death rates from heart disease broken down by degree of electrification of the American states in 1931 and 1940 are also very explicit and leave no doubt as to the toxicity of electromagnetic fields for the heart, thus exonerating cholesterol and diets deemed too high in fact. 12. 
The Transformation of Diabetes. Thomas Edison, who was involved in discoveries relating to electrical technology and was therefore exposed to electromagnetic fields to a far greater degree or far greater extent than his fellow citizens at the time, was diagnosed with diabetes, a disease that was very rare in 1889. Another researcher, Alexander Graham Bell, who worked in the field of telegraphy and invented the telephone, was known to constantly complain of the symptoms of neurasthenia, known as EHS today, and in 1915, he too was diagnosed with diabetes. In 1876, the book Diseases of Modern Life by Ward Richardson described diabetes as a rare modern disease caused by mental exhaustion due to overwork or by a shock to the nervous system. The excessive intake of toxic, addictive sugar in our modern diet naturally provides a convenient explanation of why diabetes, including pre-diabetes, affects more than half of all Americans today. However, this explanation is too simplistic. Dr. Even Jocelyn showed that between 1900 and 1917, sugar intake had increased by 17%, while mortality from diabetes had doubled. Later, in 1987, a study of Native American Indians showed radically different rates of death from diabetes depending on territory ranging from 7 per thousand in the Northwest to 380 per thousand in Arizona. During those years, neither lifestyle nor diet could explain such a divergence. One environmental factor, however, can indeed explain such a difference. The electrification of Native American reservations proceeded at different paces and those in the Northwest were only electrified much later. By contrast, the Arizona Reservation lies in the immediate vicinity of Phoenix. Moreover, this Native American community had its own power plant and its telecommunications system. Another example of this is the population of Brazil, a major sugar producer for centuries where diabetes was still unknown in 1870 after it had already emerged as a disease of civilization in North America. Even today, Brazilians consume 70 kilograms of refined sugar per year per person, more than North Americans, and yet still have two and a half times fewer cases of diabetes than in the USA. In Bhutan, diabetes was virtually non-existent until 2002, after which the electrification of the country began in 2004. 634 new cases of diabetes were announced in 2005, 944 in 2006, 1,470, and in 2007, 2,540 with 15 deaths. In 2012, there were 91 deaths and diabetes was the eighth leading cause of death in the country, even though people's diet had not changed. As we saw in the previous chapter, electronic smog acting on mitochondria prevents the efficient use of, of absorbed sugar, i.e. the combustion of sugar. The sugar, which cannot be converted into mechanical energy, is stored as fat in the body. Statistical graphs for diabetes death rates broken down by the degree of electrification of the American states in 1931 and 1940 are also very explicit and leave no doubt as to the role played by electromagnetic fields in the appearance of large-scale diabetes, thus exonerating sugar consumption to some extent. In 1997, there was a 31% increase in the number of cases of diabetes in the United States in a single year, which precisely correlated with the mass introduction of cell phones in the country. 13. Cancer and the Starvation of Life In February 2011, the Supreme Court of Italy accused Cardinal Roberto Tucci, the outgoing president of Vatican Radio, of having created a public nuisance by polluting the environment with radio frequencies through negligence. In fact, in the period from 1997 to 2003, 
the children living within a 12 kilometer radius of radio antennas, the radio antennas, had an eight times higher rate of leukemia, lymphomas or myelomas than those who live further away. The same rule held true for adults with a seven times higher rate. The German doctor and professor Otto Heinrich Warburg, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize for Medicine in 1931, showed that cancer is a regression of oxygen-deprived cells, which drives them to multiply anarchically, as in a primeval world where oxygen was not present to the extent it is today. The initial oxygen deprivation is due to malfunction of the mitochondria, which as we have seen can be caused by electromagnetic fields or other pollutants such as smoke, pesticides, food additives, and air pollution. The same principles of cellular oxygen deficiency apply to diabetes, which is why there is a higher rate of cancers among diabetics than the rest of the population. At Philadelphia Zoo from 1901 to 1955, a rise in the rate of malignant tumors was noted in animals varying from twice to 22 times more between those dates. Cancer death statistics show a clear correlation between the electrification of countries and cancer rates. For example, in the USA, the rate was 6.6 .6 per thousand from 1841 to 1850. It subsequently more than doubled from 1851 to 1860 with a rate of 14 per thousand. The true explanation for this can be found in the mass deployment of the telegraph in 1854. In 1914, there were two deaths from cancer among 63,000 Native Americans living in reserves without electrification, while to the rest of the country, the cancer mortality rate was 25 times higher. Between 1920 and 1921, following the introduction of the first AM radio stations, cancer mortality increased between 3 and 10% in Western countries. Swedish researchers Olli Johansson and Orjan Halberg have shown a clear correlation between breast, prostate and lung cancer rates and the exposure of population to radio frequencies. They point to a significant increase in rates in 1920, 1955, 1969 and a decrease in 1978 corresponding to the increase in radio frequency smog due to the introduction of AM radio, FM radio and TV1 and the arrival of TV2 and then the cessation of AM radio broadcasts. These same researchers have likewise found a very clear linear correlation between the number of FM radio transmitters per region and the incidence of melanomas with the exposed locations having 11 times more melanomas than the white zones. They also found that melanomas rarely appear on the areas of the body most exposed to the sun, such as the forehead, nose, shoulders and feet, but more often in those areas of the body usually protected from the sun. Moreover, the proliferation of skin cancers occurred before the coming into fashion of seaside holidays during which sun exposure is intense. This shows that melanomas are not predominantly caused by the sun, but by radio frequencies. The statistical graphs of death rates from cancer, as well as from diabetes and cardiovascular disease, broken down by the degree of electrification of the American states in 1931 and 1940, are likewise very explicit, leaving no doubt, whatever, that electromagnetic fields play a role in the increase of cancer. Genuine data on brain tumors is hard to find, as the cell phone lobby has been infiltrating this field for decades in order to commission biased studies. One of their studies even shows a decrease in the instance of tumors correlating with the intensive use of cell phones. <laughs> Sorry. However, the University of Calgary has found evidence of a 30% increase in the incidence of malignant brain tumors in the period from 2012 to 2013. And Leonard Hardell, professor of oncology at the University Hospital of Orebro, Orebro, I'm not sure if I said that right, in Sweden, has demonstrated that 2,000 hours of cell phone use increases the risk of developing a tumor by a factor of between 3 and 8 
depending on the age of the subject and their phone habits. In 2000, Neil Cherry analyzed the cancer rates of children in San Francisco in relation to the distance between their homes and the television and FM radio transmitters on Sutro Tower. Children living on hills or ridges were affected more. Those who lived within one kilometer of the antenna had nine times higher incidence of leukemia, a 15 times higher incidence of lymphoma, and a 31 times higher incidence of brain cancer. Overall, an 18 times higher rate than those living outside that one kilometer radius. 14. Suspended animation. A practical treatise on nervous exhaustion, 1880, by George Miller Beard, the electrotherapist and friend of Thomas Edison, contains an intriguing, intriguing observation. Although these difficulties are not directly fatal and do not appear in the mortality tables, although on the contrary they may tend to prolong life and to protect the system against febrile and inflammatory disease, yet the degree of suffering they cause is enormous. Those who suffered the most seem rather young for their age. Furthermore, Beard noted that one of the rare diseases seemed more likely to afflict the neurasthenic uh, subjects than the rest of the population. That disease was diabetes. Beard had already observed that the increase in life expectancy did not go hand in hand with life quality. The mysterious correlation between the suffering of neurasthenic people whose symptoms were at the same as those of contemporary electro-hypersensitive people and the prolongation of their lives pointed to a major dysfunction. In addition, it has long been observed that an ascetic lifestyle with a low-calorie diet can increase the life expectancy and health. This is the case, for example. This is the case, for example, with the population of Okinawa, where the number of centenarians is 40 times greater than the population of richer prefectures further to the north. Researchers in the field of aging have pointed out that the forces that derive and sustains our lives is the system of electron transport in the mitochondria of our cells. It is here that the air we breathe and the food we eat are combined at a rate that determines our rate of aging and hence our life expectancy, whereas the achievement of a slowing down of the combustion process within our cells through moderating the amount of energy delivered may be beneficial. Another way of slowing down may conversely be disastrous. This is the poisoning of the electron transport chain. One possible way of being poisoned is chronic exposure to artificial electromagnetic fields. This ever-increasing pollution subjects the electrons of our mitochondria to external forces, slowing them down and depriving our cells of oxygen and causing EHS symptoms. 15. You mean you can hear electricity? In 1962, a woman contacted the University of Santa Barbara, California, USA, asking for help in finding the source of a mysterious sound that she was hearing everywhere at home, even though she lived in a quiet residential area. This sound was keeping her awake and was detrimental to her health. Measurements did indeed show that particularly strong electromagnetic fields were emanating from all electrical conductors, not only from the grid, but also from the radiators and other metallic elements, yet the stethoscope itself detected no sound at all. An engineer carried out an experiment recording the measured fills on tape and playing them to the woman affected by these noises and she confirmed that was what she was hearing. So this woman was able to hear the electromagnetic fields of her environment. Grounding facilities and electronic filters were installed to reduce the disturbances to an acceptable level. However, long before that, Volta and other researchers had already conducted experiments in which they had successfully produced various sounds by applying voltages to the ears. Much later, in the 1960s, the biologist Alan Frey published articles on the ability of some subjects to hear emissions from a radar installation. The mechanical model of the functioning of the ear, as taught in schools, does not provide any explanation for these observed phenomena. Noting this, biochemist Lionel 
Naftalin developed a new model of the function of the human ear, taking into account the well-known phenomenon of piezoelectricity, a force utilized by electronicians, which he discovered in the gel covering the cilia of the inner ear. In this gel, which is found nowhere else in the human body and has special properties, a voltage of 100 to 200, 120 rather millivolts was present, which is considered high in the field of bioelectronics. This piezoelectric gel transforms sound waves into an electrical signal that is communicated to the cilia of the inner ear. This new revised model of the functioning of the human ear not only explains the ability of certain subjects to hear an electromagnetic signal under certain conditions, but also why so modern day so many modern day people suffer from tinnitus and why certain groups of people around two to eleven percent of the world's population are hearing a global humming all around the planet. Today, about 44% of American adults suffer from tinnitus at various levels of intensity, while in Sweden the number of young people affected was 12% in 1997 and 42% in 2006. These parasitic sounds are largely the result of living in an environment that is heavily polluted with all kinds of artificial electromagnetic fields. 16. Bees, birds, trees, and humans. Alfonso Balmori Marinez, a Spanish biologist, has correlated the population density of sparrows with the radio frequency radiation values in their habitats. Sparrows cannot survive in the most irradiated places where levels exceed 3 V stroke M, which I presume is volts per meter, where, whereas there are still 42 birds per hectare at levels of 0.1 V stroke M. He has also observed a marked change in the behavior of storks, whereby stork pairs will fight instead of building a nest or incubating eggs if they're within 200 meters of a cell tower. The United Kingdom classified the house sparrow as an endangered species after its population declined by 75% between 1994 and 2002, a period that coincided with the deployment of cell phone technology. Homing pigeon breeders on several continents have found that, when released, up to 90% of pigeons fail to find their way back to the dovecot, whereas this percentage should normally be tiny. In 2000, English breeders tried to reroute a race so as to avoid cell towers in order to give the pigeons a better chance of homing successfully. In 2004, those same breeders commissioned more extensive studies on the impact of microwaves on pigeons. In 2002, the U.S. National Park Service issued a note to biologists studying wild animal behavior, explaining that RFID chips attached to those animals to track them with radio frequencies can radically alter their behavior due to the radio frequencies generated. In environments polluted by electromagnetic fields, robins cannot find their bearings for navigation, whereas when they're in a Faraday cage, they're able to do so. An experiment on frog tadpoles reared in two separate pools within 140 meters of a cell tower. One without and the other with electromagnetic shielding displayed mortality rates of 90% and 4% respectively. The same type of harmful effects are found in insects when they're exposed to electronic smog we encounter on a daily basis. And Dr. Panagopoulos, who has experimented on fruit flies, reports that the exposure to microwaves at common levels, even for just a few minutes a day, for a few days, is the worst known stressor in our daily lives, even worse than chemicals or low frequency electromagnetic fields. Bees are also being negatively impacted, as we saw on the Isle of Wight at the beginning of this summary. Dr. Daniel Favre, F-A-V-R-E, Switzerland, has demonstrated that in the presence of microwaves, bees emit a, typical, a sound typically heard when they swarm, which suggests the insects want to escape the emission source. The Varroa mite is generally blamed for colony collapse syndrome. However, we forget this mite has cohabited with the bees for a long time. 
In addition, it can be observed that nowadays even a dead colony is not infested with parasites, even though this used to be the case before. The finger of blame is also leveled at pesticides, yet we have seen, as we have seen, 90% of the bees in the Isle of Wight disappear without any pesticides having been used in that area. The true cause of colony collapse is found in human-generated electromagnetic fields, especially cell phone technology. In the 1980s, a burning issue emerged, the death of forests. This was blamed on acid rain, yet the most remote areas with the cleanest air were equally affected. Research was carried out in Germany and Switzerland, and although the soil in the affected areas did indeed prove to be acidic, observations and experimentation showed that such acidity could also be the result of slow electrolysis of the soil via the trees exposed to radar waves, for example. Moreover, the trees on ridges were more severely affected as they were more exposed to the new radars installed in the 1970s. Another observation was made at the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall. The gigantic Russian radars at Skruda, which were heavily irradiating the whole region in their task of monitoring the West, had not only caused harm to the forest, but also animals and human beings. After numerous studies, it was found that the growth rings of the trees during the years when the radars were operating were much smaller than those from either before or after the period. In Schwarzenberg in Switzerland, a shortwave radio antenna was installed in 1939 and the transmission power was subsequently increased to 450 kilowatts in 1954. This was followed by a deterioration in the health of the local inhabitants who complained of EHS symptoms. The village children had difficulties at school and seemed unable to advance to higher education, unlike the children of less exposed neighbouring villages. Finally, in 1992, a study was carried out which confirmed that Within a radius of 900 meters in the antenna, the physiological analysis parameters of the people and animals of the site were abnormal. It was also found that the tree growth rings were compressed, but only on the side facing the radiation source. On March 28, 1998, the transmitter was shut down and a before and after study carried out, and this demonstrated that the melatonin levels of the 58 subjects tested had increased again. A 50-year-old villager was finally able to sleep a full night without interruption for the first time in his life. On May 29, 1996, Philip Roche, a doctor of the Office for the Environment, stated there was a proven correlation between sleep disorders and communications operations. 17. In the country of the blind. How much longer do we have to wait before being able to say, your cell phone is killing me, rather than I'm electro-hypersensitive? And yet the numbers of people suffering headaches due to cell phones is huge. In 2010, two-thirds of Ukrainian university students interviewed admitted the fact that it is not socially acceptable to openly discuss the issue. Groharlem Brundtland, oh sorry, Groharlem Brundtland was EHS when she was head of the World Health Organization. She was quite open about the fact, but was forced to resign from a post one year later. This deterred other high-ranking public figures from following her example. Only a minority of people suffering from electromagnetic pollution know what they are suffering from, while the great majority have no idea. The entire population is being electrocuted by remote control, and one almost has to apologize for being electrosensitive or to be precise electro-hypersensitive, just as if one had to apologize for being cyanide-hypersensitive. For the truth is that electricity, as it is currently being used, is toxic. Moreover, Statistical graphs clearly show an increase in the mortality rate of the inhabitants of nine American cities shortly after the first base stations were put into operation. This increased mortality range from 25 to over 80%. A survey conducted by a daily newspaper 
which asked New Yorkers to report whether they had begun suffering from anorexia VHS symptoms after November 15, 1996, gathered hundreds of testimonies from a wide range of racial and social classes. The date in question was the day when the first cell phone network went into operation. The Cellular Phone Task Force, an organization started by Arthur Furstenberg in 1996, is inundated with requests for help from people harmed by microwave radio frequencies. So many emitters of all kinds proliferate from Wi-Fi, WiMAX, radar stations, and irradiation emitted from the sky by telecommunications satellites that it seems as if soon there will be nowhere to escape. And I'm going to interject here. When they put 5G everywhere, which is what the plan is, there'll be less places to escape than nowhere, I think. So back to the story. Professor Ole Johansson, or Ole Johansson of the prestigious Karolinska Institute, who is famous for awarding the Nobel Peace Prize for Medicine, has focused on demonstrating the effects of electronic smog on living organisms since 1977. The success of his studies led to his being marginalized at his, at his institute, the funding for his research disappearing, and to his receiving death threats, on one occasion narrowly escaping an attempt on his life through sabotage of his motorcycle. Despite everything, he continues to inform the world, good man, of the truth in order to defend, among others, those suffering from EHS, whose lives have become hell on earth. He is disgusted by the way in which governments of so-called democratic countries have simply abandoned the victims of radio frequencies to their fate. Dr. Erica Mallory Blythe, who has dual British and American nationality, completed her studies in 1998. In 2007, after following her F-16 husband pilot to the USA, she became severely affected by HS without realizing it. Her internet research has finally enabled her to understand what was happening to her. As a doctor, she was puzzled as to how such a profound and disabling condition could exist without her ever having heard of it in her profession. To set her mind at rest, she decided to undergo an MRI to rule out the risk of brain cancer. She believed that her death was imminent when the high-frequency pulsations were engaged, but, her, but recovered her full health and vitality in Death Valley, far from radio frequencies. Since then, she has dedicated herself to informing and helping the 5% at least of the population who are EHS and have been totally abandoned by the authorities. Yuri Grigoriev, who is generally regarded as the grandfather of electromagnetic research in Russia, is extremely concerned about young people above all and has stated that this is the first time in the history of humanity that people's brains are being openly exposed to microwaves, which is extremely serious in the eyes of a radiobiologist. In particular, he cites a Korean study which shows that attention deficit hyperactive disorder, ADHD, in children is connected to the use of cell phones. In the late 1990s, a Swedish neurosurgeon, Leif Salford, and his team proved that cell phones make the blood-brain barrier permeable, causing Alzheimer's disease. In 2003, they showed that a single exposure of only two hours caused permanent damage to the brain. In 2015, Turkish scientists irradiated rats for an hour every day for a month using typical cell phone waves. The irradiated rats had 10% fewer brain cells than those that had been spared the treatment. The same team experimented on pregnant rats for nine days at the same radiation level. The rat's progeny showed degeneration of brain, spinal cord, heart, kibber, liver, kidneys, liver, spleen, thymus, and testicles. The same experiment repeated on young rats caused atrophy of the spinal cord together with decreased myelin like that seen in multiple sclerosis. In September 1998, the first 66 satellites for space telephony went into operation, causing an increase in the USA's national mortality rate of nearly 5% in the two subsequent weeks. 
During the same period, it was observed that ver birds were no longer flying and that EHS people became particularly ill. Today, about 1,100 artificial satellites fly over. This is obviously written a while back, but several companies, Google, Facebook, SpaceX, OneWeb, and Samsung are planning to launch up to 4,600 new communications satellite each by 2020 in order to blanket the entire planet with high-speed internet access. In 1968, even the first small fleet of 28 military satellites precipitated a worldwide flu pandemic. Unlike a ground-based antenna whose radiation is highly attenuated when it reaches the magnetosphere, satellites act directly on it through mechanisms that are still poorly understood, thus compromising life on Earth. We forget the warnings of Ross Adé, the grandfather of bioelectromagnetics, and of the atmospheric, atmospheric physicist Neil Cherry, that we are all electrically regulated by the world surrounding us and that the safe level of exposure to radio frequencies, therefore, is zero. This potentially catastrophic initiative must be opposed and the organizations leading the way is the Global Union Against Radiation Deployment from Space Guards and a web link which you'll find in the description of this video. In 2014, the physician Tetsuhara Shinyo, hope I said that right, published a before and after study. He evaluated the health of 122 inhabitants of a building on which base station antennas had been installed. 21 suffered from chronic fatigue, 14 from dizziness or Meniere's disease, 14 from headaches, 17 from eye pain or infections, 14 from insomnia, 10 from chronic nosebleeds. Five months after the antennas were removed, only two cases of insomnia, one case of vertigo and one case of headaches remained. This human rights emergency, which affects hundreds of millions of people on a planetary scale, and the environmental emergency that threatens the extinction of countless species of plants and animals, must be faced with clear-sighted and unflinching resolution. I hope that was helpful. I have to say that 17 pages like that was hard going to read. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? And that really, it changed my relationship with my phone and it got me thinking about things. I had a, a Wi-Fi uh, transmitter in the house that's been disabled. It gets turned off at night when I go to bed and I'm looking into alternative, uh, well, I'm looking into ways of mitigating all that radiation that we're exposed to. Um, so put your thinking caps on if you want, do some research. I think in the next couple of episodes, we're going to talk about germ theory and then I'm going to have a deeper look into 5G because based on what we just went through there um, and what 20,000 something scientists are saying and the fact that during this lockdown period they are popping up mass and 5G stuff like crazy from what I've seen and what I've been told by people in various parts of the world. It's something I think that we need to pay more attention to. So you guys are amazing. I need to go get a drink and I will see you in the next video. Take care. Bye.